Inside the Vatican listeners, Colleen here. While Jerry and I gave you a quick run-through of Pope Francis's visit to Hungary and Slovakia last week, it's important to hear from folks on the ground, people who live in the places that the Pope is visiting, about what the trip meant for them and what it means going forward. So this week, we're bringing you an interview with Slovakian religion historian Agata Šustova-Drelova. She was commentating on Pope Francis's visit for Slovakian television. Agata and I will talk about the Pope's visit to Slovakia's largest Roma settlement. We'll talk about the political implications of his comments on Slovakia's religious history. And we'll talk about why Agata thinks this visit was what she calls a crash course in synodality. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Welcome to Inside the Vatican, Agata. Oh, hello, Colleen. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. So to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about your background and maybe what, what the Pope's visit meant to you? I'm a historian of religion, and my focus is on contemporary history of religion, which would mean, you know, anything from the end of World War II up until now, really. Um, in that sense, Pope's visit was incredibly inspiring and just it really gave me a lot of food for thought the pope offers a, a really interesting reinterpretation of you know the key moments in slovakia's history both good ones and the bad ones uh, the tragic ones uh, which in slovakia's history are quite tragically connected to the roman catholic church so for me that was a really strong take-home message you know in central europe so so the countries where communist for 40 years. And uh, in 1989, we've got revolutions, democratic revolutions that uh, meant the beginning or return of democracy. And since then, it was, in many respects, a sort of a, a, a galloping towards, you know, brighter future, in, especially in economic terms. And uh, it's quite difficult not to be swallowed by, you know, by the stream, especially as a young person, we've got, because you've got many, many opportunities opening up. My generation had much of that accessible. So I think even for our generation of Catholics, it was very easy to get enchanted by something, a, a sort of a Central European version of prosperity gospel, you know, just thinking that, you know, your success is some sort of, a, you know, a blessing from God and just really forgetting about those who are left behind. So I think getting to your previous question, what was it for me uh, personally? I think it was very much about rethinking the very basics of this culture of prosperity gospel and just uh, rethinking uh, what are the starting points? What is the basis for our future development, uh, especially in you know, the post-pandemic era, if that indeed ever comes? Right. We hope and pray. So you were talking a little bit about how Slovakia understands its roots, and that's really important politically in the country, I understand, because uh, there's kind of a nationalist or populist movement there that really wants to lay claim to the Christian history of the country, right? So can you tell us a little bit about what the political situation is is like in Slovakia, what Americans need to understand before they can understand the impact of the Pope's visit? So as you know, uh, before visiting Slovakia, uh, Pope Francis visited Hungary. And if we compare the situation, national populists are not very strong in Slovakia. Uh, what I think would be 
the situation that they'd like to have is the one that there is in uh, in Hungary. There are many links being established between Slovakia's uh, conservative and, and, in a sense, populist nationalists, because the conservatives are quite diverse group, even for such a small country in Slovakia. So you would have those who are focused on ideas and, and, and thoughts and um, values such as openness and European integration and value very much the, the democratic transi- transition and democratic revolution in 1989. They also value church in terms of and, and really understand church very much in terms of the Second Vatican Council. And then we've got those who are more traditionalist and I think it's getting much more polarized also these days because it's getting internationalized and Previously, the difference would not be, uh, the divide would not be that visible because you did not have the global, you know, figures such as, you know, Trump or to a lesser extent, Boris Johnson, but very importantly, Orban and Kaczynski in Poland. So now uh, these people are inspiring a sort of a nationalist populist rise. And as far as the Catholic church is concerned. We've got a, a very small but a very assertive group of uh, Catholics who'd like to, you know, see uh, what is happening in Hungary, see that happening in Slovakia. When you say that there are powerful Catholics with that perspective, do you mean powerful Catholic politicians or powerful people in the Catholic hierarchy? I think it's it's both. We've got a sort of nationalist, populist, conservative Catholics rising in in politics, uh, but also, if to a lesser ex- extent in uh, in the hierarchy, uh, a very important figure for these Catholics in Slovakia would be Cardinal Burke or Cardinal Duka, which is a cardinal in in Prague in Czech Republic. The, the influence is is growing on grassroots level. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit again about Slovakia's religious history, which is a long one, right? We have, what, more than a thousand years of, of Christianity in, in Slovakia. Obviously, there was a lot of persecution of and repression underneath the communist regime. And Pope Francis made a lot of references to that long history, but in a way that's very different from kind of the identity politics that, that we see on that nationalist populist uh, front. And I was curious if you could talk about how the Pope talked about Slovakia's religious history. I'm really interested in, in how you viewed that as a historian of religion yourself. And, you know, what view of it did he offer that was different from the interpretation that the nationalists give? Um, so the, the, the key points in Slovakia's religious history would be the mission of Cyril and Methodius in the end of 9th century, who came to, which was then Great Moravia on Slovakia's territory. It was a, a, a chiefdom and uh, they brought liturgy and liturgical books and tr- translated them into Slavic language. That is the point that is emphasized by nationally minded uh, Catholic uh, historians as the key moment, because that's when the language and faith came together. Now, that moment has been reinterpreted by many, you know, in many different ways, from being the moment of, you know, Slovakia opening up to, you know, the civilized world, to Slovakia connecting to Rome, because Methodius took the books and had them confirmed in, in Rome, to interpretations where we see Cyril and Methodius as uh, those protecting, and this is the communist interpretation, 
where we see Cyril and Methodius protecting the state, Great Moravia, against capitalist inroads from Rome. So, you know, the idea of uh, communist idea uh, of church was one of uh, the church being in line with the politics of the communist party. And of course, that was against the Catholic teaching. So that was the communist interpretation. But Cyril and Methodius are really uh, important symbols used and abused by many different regimes. And Francis talks a lot about purifying memory. In terms of Cyril and Methodius, he says, you know, he emphasized openness and and tolerance. Cyril and Methodius came from Thessaloniki, you know, they they came from the outside, and yet they were open to adjusting a gospel to the local cultural environment so that it would be understandable. The important moment, uh, the, the tragic one that I mentioned, is uh, a wartime, uh, that is Second World War, Slovak Republic, uh, which was Nazi-allied, and was led by Catholic priests. And this is a moment in Slovakia's history where the Catholic Church, especially the Catholic hierarchy, not all of them, but some of them, and some of them very prominently cooperated with a regime that deported 70,000 of its Jewish citizens. Pope Francis addressed this uh, period at his meeting with the representatives of the Jewish community. He started off with a very important uh, remark where he basically said that your suffering is our suffering, your history is our history. And I think that's a very important starting point because what we've had here so far was that there was this glorious history of the Catholic Church starting in the ninth century. And somehow, you know, Holocaust and all of that was a parallel story that, you know, that never quite touched touched this story. And I think this is very important that the purification of memory can start by joining these two lines. And also uh, what Pope Francis said in a metaphor of saying that you know you you need to enter the enter the scar you know you need to enter the scar because there you'll find you know inspiration for healing you need to enter that you, you need to open that so that uh, so that healing can be can be found yeah in the united states the the thing that we often reference that he said about that was in relation to taking down monuments to the confederacy he's opposed to taking them down because he thinks you need to be cognizant of that history in order to be honest about where you are now i'm curious if you think that the pope or any you know such a high, such a high profile figure as the pope reframing history in this way as not two separate lines as not the Catholics and, oh, this thing that happened, you know, on the side, but putting them together and then also offering an interpretation of the Christian history that uh, is is a lot more of a narrative of openness than maybe like a fortress mentality. I wonder if you think that that will make it any harder for uh, politicians on the kind of nationalist front to offer their own interpretation of history that's counter to that. My default answer would be skeptical, but you know, that's not, that's just, I mean, I feel encouraged by the Pope. And I think that I, I, I want to think about it in, in terms of his focus on time over space. 
you know. Hmm. What do you mean? It's something that he mentioned in, in relation to Roma's, to the integration of, of Roma people into, you know, Slovakia society that he said it's a very long, yet very vital process. So, and I, and I see that as, as an encouragement, even in terms of, you know, purifying a memory that it's going to be a very long process, you know, we can't expect immediate results. And even if we would have I don't know, um, public apologies or, or indeed uh, taking down statues or not taking down statues and having discussions at statues. I think that may not change a lot, but I think it would contribute to, to just, you know, the presence of authentically Catholic thinking about history and just contribute really to the purification in the long run. So I think that for me, the, the key word would be patience. Máme nádej, že vaša misia dnes tu medzi nami na tomto mieste nám pomôže zapáliť. You mentioned the Roma community and the issues of integrating them. I just want to give some background for our listeners. The Roma people are this historically itinerant or nomadic community and throughout history they have been persecuted in different ways. They have been enslaved at parts of their history. They've been forcibly displaced. They were targets of the Holocaust. And today in Slovakia, they face really high unemployment rates. They face high alcoholism rates. Their living conditions are very poor. We talked a little bit about that on last week's show. And those obviously lead to health issues. There's also just difficulty getting them the the educational foundation that they need for when kids transition into school. And Agata, you wrote a really interesting piece for America uh, about this community, and it's called Pope Francis Wants a Better Future for Slovakia's Roma Communities. Roma women are making it happen. And you wrote about this early childhood development program that's teaching Roma mothers how to prepare their children for a smooth transition into school so that they can build a better future for their kids. You wrote about all of that before the Pope visited Lunik 9, which is the largest Roma settlement in Slovakia. And I wanted to get your thoughts afterwards, now now that the Pope has visited, about what you think the impact of that visit might be on that community, or how you think it impacted them immediately. You know, as I was sitting in the studio, because I was commenting this on, on the national TV, and we were given the you know, Pope's speech, and uh, we could see it beforehand. Uh, and I took my pen and I started underlining basically the whole speech. And I was like, yes, that's, yes, that's exactly what we need to hear. So I can't really say what the impact on the Roma uh, people will be. I'm, you know, I'm not one of them, but I had an anthropologist sitting with me in the studio and he was not, he's not a Catholic, but the first thing he said, you know, it is going to be a great support and satisfaction for the people who are working with the Roma. This moment was very important in the sense that many people who are doing really good job, both from Roma community and from outside of it, got their voice heard. 
And I think that was uh, that was very important that they could have emerged from this, you know, very sort of uh, negative and just uh, disheartening narrative about Roma community. I should probably say that, you know, it's third of Roma community who are living in these Roma settlements. Two thirds are have been fully and successfully integrated, and many of these Roma are helping those uh, in the Roma settlements to, you know, social mobility and just, you know, more successful integration. All right, we only have a little bit of time left, so I'm gonna go on to our our next topic. Even though I feel like I could talk to you about the Roma all day because it is so interesting, just the impact of the Pope's visit, you know, bringing attention that I think the government did not necessarily want on this community, bringing that to that community. But one last thing is that Pope Francis has, uh, on the level of the global church, really been pushing towards a model of synodality, right? This is this uh, way of sort of making decisions by listening to many, many people and discussing together and trying to reach a consensus inspired by the Holy Spirit, we would say. And as you and I were kind of texting throughout this visit uh, about your reactions, one thing you said right after the Pope left really surprised me, which was that this visit, you said, was a crash course in synodality, or at least in its basics. And I wanted to ask what you meant by that. Well, you see, uh, I think um, synodality has not been much of a buzzword in Slovakia before Pope's visit. And it's probably, uh, you know, the situation in other churches, in other countries as well. And Pope's remarks uh, on the church, on its past, on its present, and and indeed on its future, I think, leaded us Catholics very gently, but in a very sort of insistent manner towards, you know, the basics. Uh, the first thing he did was, and, and again, he used a very sort of nice uh, metaphor for that, and this is uh, in a speech that he delivered in Bratislava in St. Martin's Cathedral, which is just down the hill from the Bratislava Castle. And he said, you see, your church, the church doesn't need to be a castle. You already have one, you know, up on the hill. So he started by unmaking, you know, those uh, uh, visions and, you know, uh, just definitions uh, of conceptions of church that are very much present in Slovakia's society. Are you kind of referring to the, the church as like a castle or fortress model? Absolutely, yeah. And, and it makes a lot of sense in Slovakia's history because in some societies, especially in those where the church was persecuted, this model was for some times almost a necessity. And it's quite easy to sort of stick to that, you know, and see it as something positive especially now that you have voices emerging about, you know, the mortal danger coming from, you know, the liberals. And these, this is very much the rhetoric of the national populists. Right. It gets framed as sort of a, a new persecution. Absolutely. And indeed, they are referring to, to these, um, you know, heroes as someone that they are very much following in the footsteps of. And Pope ripped that open and said, you know, it's not about you know, closing in, it's about opening up. So he started healing the, you know, the historical consciousness and just showing that, you know, this is not something that you can build on. You know, there is a different tradition, a very lively one within your church of people who, despite being, you know, under pressure, 
remained open and he explicitly named these people within the church. There are many, many people like that. Alongside the tragic history, there are people who really bore witness to Christ in that respect. Do you want to give an example? Yeah, so for instance, um, my favorite example would be uh, Uniate uh, Bishop Jan Gojic, um, who was the most consistent critic of Josef Tiso, the Catholic priest president of the Vinatielite Slovak Republic, who was the first one who criticized, you know, in a very open manner, any measures against the Jews. He was, you know, very, in a sense, alone in that, but he, he carried on. And uh, tragically enough, after the end of World War II and the communist coup, he was among the first to be, to be, um, you know, tortured and then put on um, trial and, uh, and imprisoned for many years. So, so the remarks about uh, fortress appeared in St. Martin's Cathedral, in, which was a meeting with church leaders. And then he again returned to synodality among Roma, where he said that, you know, you belong to the church. We are all on the road together, you know. So it's not just about the leaders who need to open up the church, but it's about you joining the church, you know, actively uh, being present in the church. So synodality does not know any differences in terms of ethnicity or, you know, regional differences within the church. His last remarks appeared in Shashtin, which is the national shrine. And there he again said that, uh, you know, the, the church is a, a place where we all meet and uh, we need to be present here in the church. And I think that was very topical because our national patron is Our Lady of Seven Sorrows and that symbol has been often used by the church to sort of signify us being suffering, you know, the church suffering and just the church preoccupied by its own problems and uh, not really seeing what was happening outside of the church and the Pope reinterpreted the devotion in terms of compassion, you know, both within the church and without the church and I think that was a very, very um, powerful remark, both in terms of synodality, but also in terms of the church's role in the post-COVID era. Right. And, and in terms of synodality, I think that this really reveals Pope Francis's sense that synodality is is meant to include everyone. I just did an interview with Sister Natalie Bacar, who's in the Synod for Bishops now, and she was telling me that she sees synodality as as even reaching outside the church and as even prioritizing voices that are that are on the margins. So, yeah, this is definitely the the direction that Pope Francis seems to be headed, and and I'm glad that it came out so strongly, especially in his messages to the Roma and and in Slovakia. So, Agata, thank you so much for taking some time to offer your insights to us today. If our listeners want to read your article on Roma women ensuring a better future for their children, they can find that at americanmagazine.org and linked in our show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Colleen. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Sebastian Gomes. Sound engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. And if you want to support our work on the show, the best way to do that is by purchasing a digital subscription to America Magazine. You can do that at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Thanks. For America Media, I'm Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time.